You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. Good morning. Everyone here, everyone on Zoom land, in Zoom land, or, yeah, in Zoom land. Yeah, there we go. All right. I can take this off. Thank you. Oof. That's terrible. Um. You could turn this, the gain down on this. That'd be great. Thanks. Amen. Well, I have a, a, a double duty today, dual task, uh, because it is uh, Black History Month. And so I wanted to share something. I wanted to share something just a little different, I think. Um, I wanted to share a short story, basically, about friendship and prayer. Right? About two women, two people who were, who were called to be reconciled to each other. They're called to be reconciled to each other about two people. Um, a reconciliation that could only be possible because they were first reconciled to Christ. Amen? And about a hundred years ago, there was a, a black woman named Grace. And, uh, and Grace had a prayer partner who was white. Right? And I've been doing some research and, and the story, and into the story and trying to find out the woman's first name because I didn't have her first name. I just had her last name. And I've narrowed it down to Elizabeth or Amanda, but I'm not 100% sure, right? And, um, but these women attended a house church, right, together and, and with their families in Delaware County. And these two people, these two women, they were friends and prayer partners. You know, some of you may know this story, but some of you may not. You know, which seems, it seems like it's nothing um, out of the ordinary. But 100 years ago, 100 years ago, this wasn't too common. It wasn't too common. And these women were on fire for the Lord. They longed to see the Holy Spirit move in the city of Philadelphia and in the Delaware Valley. And, throughout, you know, and so they would, they would even hold street meetings on North Broad Street near Girard, up by the Met. And in the early 1900s, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in, in, the, in, the, in, in Wales and later in Los Angeles. And at the time, of, uh, there was a great revival in the country of Wales, and, and that's in England, if you guys don't know, Great Britain, you know, for those of you who don't know where that is. Um, and a group of Christians formed a denomination with a Pentecostal flavor, right? It called the Apostolic Church of Wales. And after praying, you know, for a similar, you know, awakening, a spiritual awakening to take place in, in the Philadelphia region, these two women travel across the ocean together to investigate the revival in Wales. And as a result of their visit, you know, a group of prophets and pastors came to the Philadelphia area 
to share what God was doing in their country. And from that visit and several others at that, that house church in East Lansdowne eventually became Philadelphia Gospel Temple and later the Living Word Community. You see, being a multicultural church in Center City, Philadelphia is not something that we do. It's something God has called us to be from the beginning. It's in our genes. It's in our DNA. You know, we're, we're to be reconciled to people of all ethnicities, colors, and backgrounds for the kingdom of God. That's who we're called to be. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not easy. And it hasn't been easy. And it's not always popular. Because a lot of times, I remember growing up, people used to say, oh, you go to a white church, you know, and you know, try to make fun of me, I guess. Um, but what matters is that we are called to Christ and called to each other. And that's the story of this church. That's the background of this church. A lot of people don't know that. It was funny, I was talking to uh, someone um, a few weeks ago, and they were like, you know, do we have any literature or anything about, you know, the history of living word? And I was like, of course we do. You know, I was like, I'll give you one. <laughs> I'll give you, I think I have a couple at my house, and I'll give you one. I haven't done that yet, though, so I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reprimand myself. But that's who we are. We're called to be reconciled, you know. That's who we are. That's, who, that's what our beginnings. And, and like back then, 100 years ago, I can't, I can't imagine uh, there being a house church, you know, with, in, in an all-white neighborhood with, you know, black people there. It's just like I just can't imagine that. But that's what they did. And I'm sure it was hard on everyone who went there, even especially the people who lived there. Oh, my goodness. You know, um, but that's our beginnings. So I wanted to share that little story with you guys this morning. Amen. Amen. So the title of my sermon today is Hiding in the Heart. Hiding in our hearts. And I want to talk about reconciliation. Um, that's basically the, the gist of everything. So why don't you turn with me to Jeremiah 17. starting in verse 5. So it says, uh, this is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from uh, mere flesh, and whose hearts turn away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a, salt land, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who's tr who trusts in the Lord, who can whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water. See, water. Sorry, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It leaves, it, it leaves, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. 
The heart, of this, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what to their deeds deserve. Amen. Dear Lord, I just thank you for today, Lord God. I thank you that, um, Lord, that you, you do search our hearts, Lord. And you do see where we are. We, you do see everything about us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, that um, you, would continue, you would change our hearts, Lord. You would change us, Lord God. Lord, we need you more than anything. And Lord, we can't do this without you. Amen. All right, so, you know, over the past year, we witnessed more types of, of, uphe of upheaval and, and trauma in our lives, resulting in the incidents that happened, you know, over this past year. And, 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 and it was more than many have seen in, in, the, in, in a lifetime. <clears throat> From a worldwide pandemic, of the coronavirus, you know, to the death of George Floyd and uh, to the riots and looting and, and to the, uh, the protests and clashes, to the elections, uh, to the rallies and, and attacks on government buildings um, and the death of far, far too many people. You know, along with the, the, <clears throat> the many, the, the river consequences that flowing uh, from this past year have left us, it's all left us confused and angry, upset, fearful, and prayerful. You know, we had an election and, and our nation was looking for leaders who, who could lift us beyond the violence, right? And beyond the tension of our day. There are some leaders claiming, you know, that they had a plan to lead us, you know, to a better place uh, if we would just vote for them. Somehow their promises, uh, you know, they resonate a little empty, a little hollow, you know, a, a, lot of, a lot of them, you know. And there were protests. There were protests and marches and, and rioting and looting and, and the prayer vigils have called us to all to look again at the racial divisions that separate us. You know, taking sides and, and saying the other is wrong and just being nasty to those who don't think the way we think or the way we think they should. As a country, you know, we're wondering how do we get here and where should we be going? Many have come to the conclusion that, you know, that systemic racism and institutionalized racism, you know, are at the heart of the crisis as though institutions and systems are somehow inherently evil. I think we miss something if that's as far back as we are willing to go. I really do. The evil lurking inside is hiding in the heart, waiting for a chance to manifest itself, waiting for a chance for it to come out. You know, we do ourselves a tremendous injustice if we uh, refuse to recognize that the same evil hiding in, hiding somewhere, that same evil is not hiding somewhere, it's hiding 
somewhere in our hearts. We have that same evil in our, each of our hearts. You know, we may envision a place, you know, where everybody's treated, is treated equally. And I want you to know that that place is not in the future, but it's rooted in the past. It's rooted in the past. There's only one place on earth where everybody is treated equally at all times, regardless of their ethnicity, their color, their sex, or age, and that's at the foot of the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, everyone there recognizes that they're a sinner in need of a savior, a savior who can change their hearts. They all recognize that, that they're in need of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness, and they can't do anything to deserve it. You know, as many people wonder what they can do uh, or who they should listen to in order to move forward, there's a voice silently calling out to every person of every ethnic group, of every nationality, of every age. And it says, come follow me. It says, come follow me. The invitation comes from Jesus. But the invitation of follow, <laughs> following him comes at a price, comes with a price tag. In Matthew 16, 24 to 26, it says, then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to come be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? You know, there's an interesting verse in the Bible that shows up early in, in, in Jesus' ministry in, in the Gospel of John, in, 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 uh, in John 2. And it says, basically it says, you know, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew what was inside a person. He knew what was inside of a person, so he didn't trust, entrust himself to them. You know, we want to believe that only evil people commit evil acts. We even lift them to a status of being demonic or psychotic or insane. But what, but what is really on the inside of a person? But what is really on the inside of a person? What are we really capable of? I mean, have you ever thought of doing something evil, you know, that you would never actually do, but you thought, but the thought did pop in your head? Why do you think you had that thought? Even though we, we, we like to think of ourselves of have, as having good moral hearts, you know, God, God's view of the human heart is, is that it's wicked and full of deceit. Yes, we're all capable of, of uh, doing horrible, horrible acts, putting down, uh, put our knee down on someone's neck till it snuffs out, snuffs out his life. 
or looting or destruction or murder of a neighbor or inciting insurrection or countless other evil acts. We're all capable of that. Wickedness and deceit are, is part of our spiritual DNA. The spiritual DNA of every human being and we take it into everything that we build, everything that we do, everything that we create, you know, organize or, or attempt to develop. We take all that, we take it into all that stuff. And that's how our institutions and organizations become corrupt. They're, cor they're made by corrupt human beings. You know, combine that with the, with the knowledge that the, <laughs> the love of money is, is the root of all kinds of evil, and we become capable of just about anything. We, could become, we become capable of the unthinkable. You know, at the heart of the, the decimation of the, of, the, uh, of, the, of the Native Americans in, the, in, in this country, and at the heart of the, the Negro uh, slave trade in America, was the love of money. It was the love of money. Because God has given us all a conscience, Right? We have to do something to be able to, to live with ourselves when we're mistreating other people. We make them out to, to be inferior to, uh, to ourselves and, and as, as lesser beings in the sight of God. And we project on them the, the worst qualities that we see in ourselves. We give them names to, to degrade them and, and make, the, make laws to humiliate them or change the name uh, 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 change the name to, dis to disassociate, you know, uh, ourselves from them. Like basically, like re say, uh, referring to aborted babies as fetuses or embryos instead of babies. It doesn't it doesn't matter if we write the laws or, or on the pages of of books like they did in the South with Jim Crow laws or allow them to be written on our hearts as they do in other parts of this country and, and across the world. By far the most difficult laws to change are the ones that are hidden in our hearts. The sin of uh, racism and the love of money go together. We want to make sure that we have what you know we have, and uh, we get to keep for uh, keep it for us and our children and those like us. Like we can't allow those people to take what we have. That's sin, a sinful heart. No, racism and prejudice are sins that keep revisiting us because the because of the messages we keep uh, receiving from the the culture around us. No, we can believe that because we have a friend of another, uh, another skin color or ethnicity or another, you know, uh, whatever, and we get along great, then we have ceased to participate in, you know, all that stuff. And now that's someone else's problem. I want you to know that it's a challenge. <laughs> it's a challenge to keep following Jesus. Even when Jesus has done some great things in our lives, it's hard. We just, we just finished reading the book of Acts together, right? And in the book of Acts, we see Peter. P 
Peter, the, the apostle Peter, he became a bold follower for Jesus. He became a great preacher after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now thousands of people began to believe in Christ because of Peter. Peter was from a Jewish background. He was a Jew. The Jews were God's chosen people. And then all other people were Gentiles who were unclean in the sight of God. They wouldn't even eat with them. Just think about that. You know, if you were Jewish back in that day, you wouldn't even eat with someone who was not Jewish. If there was a Gentile, no. So even though Peter had, you know, had been touched by Jesus, hidden in his heart were, was prejudice against Gentiles. Peter would not eat with them or <laughs> and would not even enter a Gentile's house. Yet Peter was a child of God. See, the family of God is much bigger than we think and, and, and includes people we, we would exclude because they don't agree with us politically or think, that, that think the way we think. But God knows that we are all in need of grace and mercy. We're in need of his grace and his mercy. You know, one day God dealt with Peter on this, in, on, in, on this issue, on this issue of prejudice. And God gave him a vision which told Peter, stop calling Gentiles unclean. God sent Peter to a Gentile named Cornelius at Cornelius' home. And when Peter got there, the first thing he had to do was humble himself and admit that he had been wrong. No, he told Cornelius, basically, he's like, normally I wouldn't, I would not enter your house. I wouldn't even come to your house. But God showed me I was, I was wrong. And the views I held about you were also wrong. I am no better in the eyes of God than you are. That's what he, that's what he said to him. Now, there's something, <laughs> there's something about seeing uh, who we are in God's eyes that puts us on equal footing with each other. Why does the Jesus in me have such a difficult time loving the Jesus in you? Because deep inside, we don't want it to happen. It means we might have to change or, and humble ourselves. Now, Peter reached the, the, the message, uh, Peter preached the message to a group of, of Gentiles, and there was a second Pentecost. The same Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles that had fallen on the Jews. Wow, go figure. And they too began speaking in, in other tongues. And from that moment on, the church expanded to include people from all groups and all nationalities. Peter did a massive baptismal service you know, to welcome in the, the new brothers and sisters. And there, <laughs> there were some Christians from, Jewish, from a Jewish background you know, who believed that you had to be circumcised in order to be saved. They talked about Peter and let him know that they were displeased with him going to those people, to those people, with the gospel message. But when Peter explained to his vision and how God, uh, God's spirit fell on the people, they backed down and recognized God was welcoming in all people. 
You know, and after this experience, you would think, you know, uh, you, would, you would think that Peter uh, would have dealt with his, his prejudices and his races, his, uh, his prejudices once and for all. After all, he and Cornelius were probably like besties at that point, right? They're best friends. You know, he, he would stay at his home. You know, he knew that if he, when he, was, if he was in Joppa, he could stay with Cornelius, right? They were tight like that. You know, Peter could have gone, out, gone throughout Jerusalem doing, uh, doing talks about racial reconciliation. He could have. But if you fast forward a few years, we find Peter in the city of Antioch. Now we know from Acts that the church in Antioch is, is, a, is a diverse church with people from Africa and Asia and Europe. And the church is made of predominantly Christians from Gentile backgrounds. You know, there, there are a few Christians from Jewish, there, there were a few Christians of Jewish background present. And while Peter and the believers are acting like the body of Christ should act, right? They're talking to each other, you know, having meals together, you know, and learning together. But the group, uh, but then a group of, uh, of people showed, from, and showed up in Antioch from Jerusalem. And these were people that, that, who looked like Peter, who had, who had the same background as Peter. They had powerful connections back in Jerusalem, where Peter lived. And Peter wanted to make a good impression on these guys and did not want to offend them. So Peter knew um, they were not as uh, liberated <laughs> As, as he was when it came to being to, to eating and spending time in the home of other of the Gentiles, basically. And Peter had a choice to make. He could either challenge them on, on their positions, the, the, on the positions that they held, or he could distance himself from his sisters and brothers in Christ in Antioch. And the Apostle Peter, the one who walked on water, and the one who preached boldly to the Sanhedrin and was ready to die for Christ was not willing to pay the price at this moment to follow Jesus. Instead, he pulled away from eating with those uh, in the church at Antioch. He pulled away from them. He distanced himself. The other Jewish Christians saw what he was doing and they too began to pull away. Can you see how the fellowship and unity uh, of the church was, was being broken? It started to be broken. Even Barnabas started acting funny towards the brothers and sisters in Antioch. Peter was bringing disunity to the body of Christ and wasn't even aware of how dangerous his actions were. Paul tells us about it in Galatians chapter 2. And when the, when, uh, when the Apostle Paul arrived on the scene and saw what was going on, you know, he confronted Peter in front of everybody. He basically said, how dare you? How dare you act one way in front of one group of people and act another, <laughs> another in the presence of another group? In other words, you had, 
He had no problem accepting the, and participating in the Gentile culture, but now because your friends have arrived from Jerusalem, you want to insist all Gentiles uh, have to participate in the Jewish uh, culture in order to be saved. Why are you trying to make them feel like second-class citizens in the kingdom? Peter wanted, uh, wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't want to, to make a break with his friends from Jerusalem. His friends, no doubt, were good moral people. But that didn't stop them from being prejudiced. For some reason, Peter was afraid to challenge his, uh, his view, their views. He was afraid to challenge his friends. Let's look how we got to Christ. In Ephesians 2, it said in verses 8 to 10, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. God did not, <laughs> God did not save us to take us to heaven. We were saved in Jesus Christ to do good works in which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are supposed to be announcing the, the, the arrival of the kingdom of God. According to Jesus, that involves justice in, in the love of God. We're called to work for justice. Justice for the forgotten. Justice for the unborn. Justice for the disenfranchised. Justice for the poor. And the list goes on and on. That's part of the work that God prepared in advance for us to do. But what is justice? What is it? Justice is the, <clears throat> is the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without that, nothing that, can possibly do, that, that I could possibly do could or would be enough. Nothing I could do could be enough without the cross of Jesus Christ. You know, I can meet people's needs. I can feed them. I can fight for them. I can take care of them. You know, I can right their wrongs. You know? But nothing I can do would ever be enough. Why? Because they don't need me. They need Jesus. They need Jesus. They don't need me. They need the power of Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross. In the same way, reconciliation comes from the, uh, from the work of, uh, that, that Christ did on the cross. I'm reconciled to, to Dave and Seema and Scott and Gretchen and, and Eric and Elena and, and, and Ted and Alex and Deborah and, and, and everybody here. I'm reconciled to everyone here. Everyone on Zoom, I'm reconciled to you because first, we're reconciled to Christ. We are reconciled to Christ first. That's how we can be reconciled to each other. There's nothing that I can do 
or bring about in my own, on my own, that's enough. I'm supposed to seek his kingdom and his righteousness because it is, his, it is the righteousness of Christ in Christ alone that we are reconciled. That's it. You know, in, in Ephesians 11, Ephesians 2, it goes on, and I, I wasn't going to share this, but um, let's see. So, in, so it goes like we, we, I just read about, you know, for we are God's handiwork, created in, in uh, uh, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right? But it goes on and it says, Therefore remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that um, at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners in the, in the covenants of the, of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now Christ Jesus, who um, you, <clears throat> sorry, because in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. It is God who is, our, he's our peace, right? Who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier dividing the wall of hostility. By setting aside in his, in his flesh the law with uh, its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. Thus making peace. And in one body be, uh, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death our hostility. This is God's work, right? He took the two and made them one. He took someone who he said, God said, these are God's rules. He said that the Jews weren't allowed to, to, to associate with the Gentiles because they were different. And God broke down that wall. God broke down that wall. Only he can do it. Only he can do it. He made the two one. Just like everyone here of different ethnicities, different skin colors, everyone out on Zoom, different ethnicities, different skin colors are made one in Christ. We are made one in Christ. That's how we are reconciled to each other. That's the only way that we can be reconciled to each other. Sorry, a little tangent, but that's the only way. And some of us, you know, are missing the point in thinking that working for, you know, quote unquote, racial justice will bring about reconciliation. Or that every church is going to look like us. 
you know, people take the passage in, you know, revelations uh, about all tribes and nations and nationalities at the throne of God to say that each church should look like we do. But not every church is called to be like us. Every church can't be like us. It can't be. No, when we talk about the body of Christ, the passage in Revelation, you know, that's what the church is already. You know, that's what it looks like. We're, we're already every nation, every tribe, every nationality. We're just scattered all over the earth. We're scattered all over the earth. Each, congreg each congregation is only a fragment of the body of Christ. You know, it's been said, you know, that you know, Sunday morning at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in, in the country. The only way that would be truly sinful is if, you know, we, someone's held a sign, put a sign on the, wall, on the door saying, you can't come in. Or someone stayed, stood at the door saying, you can't come in because you don't look like us. Most churches are going to be predominantly one race. You know, simply because of geography. You know, the churches in China, guess what? They're all one race. They're all one Chinese. They're all Chinese, you know? And same thing in Africa and in, in Europe and, you know, Minnesota for that matter. I don't know, you know? <laughs> but <laughs> it could be all one race, one, one color, one skin color, one ethnicity because that's because of geography. That does not make them any more less racist or prejudiced than multicultural, multi-ethnic congregations. The issue is, are believers in that congregation following Christ? Are they following Christ? But most churches are not, are not alike, even though they may be one ethnicity or one skin color. They have people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, ages, and political parties, and, and other things that separate them. The question is, do we share a common purpose in seeking to live for Jesus Christ? Is that our purpose? Does the majority voice in the, in the church seek to squash those who, who are different? Justice demands that we, that we think uh, what is best for those, for those groups and not think merely of our own interests. The second uh, simple reading of, uh, uh, of, of the second chapter of James reveals the, the bias we often get, have in the church against the poor in favor of those with money and power. The purpose of the, mo of the local church isn't to have a place we can, we can show off our, 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 our multiculturedness, right, as proof that Jesus is the Son of God. The purpose is to have a place to come to, to be equipped, to go back to the, to go back out and do the ministry of Jesus Christ, which is bring about His kingdom to this world. That's our, that's the purpose of the church. We need to equip you to go back out and do ministry. We are to be salt of the world. Salt and light to this world. But salt has to come in contact with something that needs salt in order for it to be effective. You can have salt in a the room. There's no, no problem having salt in my salt shaker, but it's not doing anything until I put it on whatever I'm putting salt on. 
So we need to go out and share the gospel. You know, when you find yourself in a room or in a meeting, in a conversation with someone who looks like you, and a negative comment is made about people who don't look like you, what do you do? What do you do? When a vote is taken to pass a law that benefits you, but will neg negatively impact a different group of people who don't look like you, how will you vote? When a business decision or a policy decision is, is being made that, that will hurt uh, another group, you know, will you say anything to challenge it? When it pressures on you, like it was on Peter, to go along <laughs> with everybody else, will you make the same choice that Peter did? Or will you stand for Jesus and risk losing a part of what you have? What will you do? You know, another strange statement, you know, that Jesus made was in Luke 12, in verses 21 to 53. And he says, do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. That's very strange. If we follow Christ, when it comes to the sins hidden in our hearts to get them out, you know, we will find ourselves being divided and at odds with those who are, who are closest to us. We're going to find ourselves divided against people who are closest to us. When the sin in our hearts, we want to get that out. There are people, who, you know, closest to us that are going to be like, you know, you're, you're wrong and whatever. Probably throw you out the house. Because we don't, you don't agree with them. You're going to be divided at odds with those who are closest to us. You know, <sighs> prejudice and racism is not a battle we fight once and it's over with. There's a struggle that we have to turn over to Jesus time and time again because it shows up in different ways on different days. Now, if we fail to admit that it's there, we've, we've already lost the battle. Now, it's one thing to work alongside a coworker of another ethnicity. It's another thing when someone moves next door. There's something very different when, when when someone moves, uh, when, when one of them, your, daughter, your son or your daughter wants to marry uh, one of them. Very different. Now our initial reaction lets us know what's hiding in our hearts. How do we get out of this mess? 
How do we get out of it? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It's only when we're reconciled to Christ, only when we're reconciled to Christ, can we be reconciled to each other. Think about that. Our relationship with Christ allows us to be reconciled to each other. That's basically it. That's the only way we can see, we can see each other as true brothers and sisters. It's through Christ that the Father has made us one. Amen? Amen. Dear Lord, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you've called us to be. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that, um, for what you've done on the cross. What you've done on the cross, Lord, is amazing. It has changed our lives forever. Lord, you took people who were separated and brought them together as one. You brought unity, Lord God, where there was none. Lord, you took people, Lord God, and you reconciled them to yourself so that we can be reconciled to each other. Lord, how awesome you are. Lord, your plan is just so amazing. It's so great. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that... Um, we will continue as a community to humble ourselves, Lord God, before you and before each other. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you've called us to, together. You've called us, Lord, to be one with you and with each other, Lord God. Lord, we are your church. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, for um, today, Lord. Continue to change us, continue to use us, Lord, for your kingdom and for your glory. In your precious name, amen.